What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? If you had all the money, all the time, all the knowledge, all the resources that you needed? What would you do with your life if you simply knew that anything was possible for you? My name is Christina Carlson, founder of Global Swedish Design and stationery brand Kiki K, and author of the book Your Dream Life Starts Here. And I love exploring these sorts of questions to inspire people to dream. Before I started Kiki K, I had a dream that I could bring Swedish design to the world to create beautiful products that bring sparks of joy into the everyday lives of millions. Now that I have achieved that dream, I want to help you dream big. I want to create a global movement to inspire 101 million dreamers to transform their lives and transform the world in return. Each episode, I'll be talking to some of the world's most inspiring people, exploring the powerful impact that dreaming has had on their lives. We'll be diving deep into the power of dreaming with real insights and ideas that you can use immediately to build a dream life of your own, whatever that means for you. This episode, I'm joined by the incredible, driven and inspiring Joe Fairley, co-founder of the multi-million dollar green and black organic chocolate, editor and author of the Beauty Bible, motivational speaker, mentor, journalist, entrepreneur and all around wonder woman of business. After leaving school at just 16, bored and disheartened by teachers who told her she would probably never amount to much. Jo was driven by a passion to succeed in the real world and prove everyone wrong. And she most certainly did that. But jumping headfirst into any role she found herself in, Jo became a sponge, learning every skill she could to succeed. And it wasn't long before her passion and drive led her to become the UK's youngest magazine editor at just 23. In a career spanning many years across a variety of areas, Joe now edits the Beauty Bible website and books with long-term friend and fellow beauty lover Sarah Stacy. Another of Joe's ventures is the Perfume Society, which sets out to help individuals develop their sense of smell by exploring fragrance and the scented world. As well as all this, she also owns a nine-room well-being center and organic bakery in Hastings, where she is now living her ultimate dream life by the sea. Joe's passion for business and making a difference in the world is truly remarkable. And in this amazing episode, you'll discover the benefits of being thrown in the deep end, jumping out of your comfort zone and taking a gamble on something you are passionate about. The importance of learning everything you can to make yourself knowledgeable and overcoming imposter syndrome. The power of dreaming big, but also the importance of taking action and working hard to turn those dreams into reality. Simple and actionable advice for anyone looking to start a business out of their passions. How to overcome self-doubt by celebrating your strength. And so much more. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. So let's get right into it. Well, hello, Joe, and welcome to our Dream Life podcast. I am so incredibly excited to have you here today. And I know our listeners is going to get so much out of our chat. I cannot wait to get into your incredible story from being the UK's youngest magazine editor at just 23 to creating the Beauty Bible, becoming the founder of Green Black's Chocolate, which is 
my favorite chocolate ever and I always travel with it. So Yay. it's very excited and, um, you know, a bit of a station, a bit of chocolate this morning is absolutely perfect. Good swap. And all around Wonder Woman or business. So I'm super excited to jump into hearing your story. But first, could you just talk about a little bit about your childhood? Did you have any dreams as a child? I think I spent most of my childhood dreaming. I was up a tree or I was walking in the fields near our house or I was playing with my dolls or my doll's house and making real worlds. You know, it wasn't it wasn't just playing. It was imagining lives and kind of, I suppose, imagining a life for me. Mm. And then when I was a teenager, I got into magazines, which I guess are all about dreams anyway. But I started tearing pages out of magazines and creating what I now realize is a vision board. Yeah. And my mom wouldn't let me put them on the walls of my bedroom. So I stuck them on the inside of my wardrobe where I could see them every time I opened the doors. And the extraordinary thing about those pictures, and they, there were some fashion pictures, but they were mostly about people yeah. or about places that I wanted to go. And you know, I was a, I grew up in a suburban a suburb of South London. My father was a journalist, but we didn't have a particularly grand life. And these these were quite ambitious, you know, dreams and yeah. schemes. And it wasn't till years later that I I realised that all those pictures I'd stuck on the inside of my wardrobe, they were people that I wanted to meet, and I'd met so many of those people, and some of those people had become friends. And I remember tearing out a picture of Peter Beard's, the explorer Peter Beard's camp in West Africa, in Kenya. And I went to Peter Beard's yeah. camp. And and so I totally believe in creative visualization yeah. or dreaming, you know, whatever you like to call it, mm. and the power of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so, I mean, that's the first kind of amazing takeaway on this podcast, because I really am such a big believer on putting pictures up. And I did exactly what you did with tearing things out of a magazine as a child, because I didn't also, I didn't grow up with, you know, a fancy life. So yeah, that, yeah that's so inspiring yeah. and a really good takeaway already for our listeners to really put it up on your board and see. Totally. all the time and you never really know do you I still have pictures on my office yeah wall, as long as well as lots of kind of inspirational sayings yeah. yeah love it love it so your career has spanned across an incredible variety of areas beauty food business and I've given a little bit of intro to your story already but I'd love to hear in your own words how you you know you started and where, where you are today well I left school at 16 with not very many qualifications I hated school I'd been at the same school from four to 12, no, four to 16, so 12 years, bored, rigid. I mean, I just couldn't wait to get out of that place Yeah, into the real world, yeah. the real world that was on the inside of my wardrobe door, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I trained as a secretary, which was amazing. I spent a year, back in those days, you could learn how to be a PA. Yeah. But it gave me the most amazingly useful skills. So I learned how to organize pretty much anything. I learned how to research things. I learned a bit of business, a bit of law, some, you know, continued my French. I learned how to do shorthand typing. And actually, I think that those skills everybody should acquire mm. because they are really useful in life, whatever you go on to do. And then I got a job, a series of kind of secretarial PA jobs. Yeah. One was a very glamorous fashion job for a knitwear company. And one day a journalist left a magazine on my desk and inside was an advert for a new magazine starting up. So I applied. I thought, well, I could work in the fashion department. But my boss, who was a real talent spotter, 
put me in the features department. And I went to work for an amazing guy who got me writing by just throwing me in at the deep end and me saying, but Howard, I can't write. (laughs) And him saying, don't be so actual asterisk wet. Everybody can write. And I just got on with it. And, and, you know, one paragraph article turned into half page and then page features. And eventually I was interviewing amazing movie stars at the end of their careers, like Betty Davis and Charlton Heston and Jane Russell, and having to stand up at a press conference uh, with Yul Brynner, who'd come to London to star in The King and I. And if you remember, he was bald. And my boss had sent me to ask him the question, is it true that bald men are sexier? And I had to ask this question in front of 200 journalists. And I wanted the earth to open me up, especially when Yul Brynner said, you want me to show you? (laughs) But it was amazing because, again, after that experience, I thought I can actually ask anybody anything now, you know. So I, I think it's great to kind of throw people in at the deep end and be thrown in at the deep end because... Mostly we can swim. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And tell me then, how did you get into all the things you're involved in now in terms of your beauty bible and chocolate? Well, I, from being that baby journalist, I became a magazine editor literally overnight. My, my boss called me into his office and said, can you help me with something? I need a new editor for Look Now. And I said, sure, you know, what kind of person are you looking for? And he said, well list of attributes and at the end I said what you really want is someone just like me Terry and he said yes and I'd like you to start in the morning so I was completely terrified I spent the first month with imposter syndrome which I totally empathize with anybody who has that I think most people have had it at some point this terrible fear of being found out and fired and and shamed and all of that stuff And then the really weird thing at the end of a month was I realized that editing a magazine was a mechanical process. And I'd done it with the help of a book my dad gave me on publishing terms. And so when my art director came into the room and said, do you want this picture bled off, which means, you know, to the borders of the page, (laughs) um, I'd just go, yeah, I think that's a great idea, Penny. And if she left the room, I'd open up this book of publishing terms and see what bleeding off meant. And if I really wanted a board around it, I'd ring her up and I'd say, actually, Penny, I've changed my mind. I think we will have a white board around that. But literally, I bluffed it for a month. And funny enough, on my Instagram, my my at Joe Fairley Instagram the other day, I found the book and I put it on Instagram with the story of how my dad got me through the first month of my of my editing career. I love that. And you know, I think it's true with most jobs, which is at the beginning, you're terrified, Mm. especially if you're being stretched. Yeah. But again, it's amazing what we can learn and what we can achieve. Yeah. And I love that because, you know, I worked, uh, I worked for a corporate travel agency when I first came to Australia. I didn't know how to write corporate travel faxes. It was faxes back then. I used to collect at night when everyone gone home, I used to collect faxes out of the recycle bins and had a whole folder of anyone in the business writing different things so I can copy how to write. As a blueprint. Yeah. 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 And um, when I went on holidays and when I became a travel agent, you know, eventually I learned it because I worked for free. I said, hey, pay me when I'm worth anything. So I, and then I, they said, what is this weird folder that you have? (laughs) 
<laughs> that's why I learned my job. That's my English. That's my English book. So yeah, really funny. Yeah, well, yeah. I totally get that. But by the time I was twenty nine, I'd been editing magazines for six years, and I'd spent all my twenties with such a lot of responsibility. Yeah. I decided I'd had enough. I didn't love my second editing job at all. And I became a freelance journalist. Yeah. And I wrote about lots and lots and lots of different things. I mean, I've written about everything from sumo wrestling to Romanian orphans via a lot of mascara reviews. And I love that. I love the fact I never quite know what I'm going to write about yeah. next. And I still, I still write. But one of the things that I did, which kind of really tapped into something that I became passionate about when I was a teenager was I got a column on the Times writing a column called Ecosphere. And it was it was a the end of the 80s, a kind of green movement bubbled up. It disappeared again. But there was a real moment at the end of the 80s when it looked like everybody was going to get the kind of messages that we're getting now about climate change and and pollution and recycling and plastics and all that kind of thing. So I, I had this news column on the Times and I presented a 30-week series for Sky TV called Go for Green. And when I was 13, a friend had given me a copy of a book called a Shopper's Guide to Saving the Planet. Mm -hmm. But back then there was literally nothing you could do to save the planet. Yeah. But it kind of stayed with me. You know, I've I've always just never been about waste. I, I hate waste. I love reusing things. I love the older something gets, the more I love it, yeah. basically. And so that kind of really resonated with me. And I'd met the man who's my husband some years before, but we reconnected and he's just about the greenest man on the planet, yeah. I have to say. He had a, he's had an organic food company since 1967, proper hippie pioneer. Yeah. So I hooked up with him and, and the same year that we got married, we launched this Green and Black's chocolate brand. Love that. And I'd never been in business before. I'd written about other people doing businesses, but never imagined that I'd do it myself. Mm. So tell us a little bit about that. How did you learn how to do it? Did you do the same thing, just throw yourself into it? Or? Yeah, I threw myself into it. But I, I mean, I had a bit more confidence by then yeah. because actually when you're running a magazine, that's actually running a business. Yeah, you absolutely. have budget, so you have staff, you have HR issues, yeah. you have your deadlines. You have It's a business. But I'd never had my own product before. And it came about because I walked into his office one day and there were some squares of chocolate sitting on his desk from a sample bar that he'd had made from a supplier. And he didn't really feel he could launch a chocolate bar because Whole Earth, which was his business, was kind of anti-sugar. Yeah. And you can't do chocolate without sugar. But I kind of nagged and nagged at him. And eventually he turned around and said, well, look, you know, why don't you do it? But you're going to have to finance it because I haven't got launching a new brand in my budget. And I'd sold my flat before I moved in with him. And I banked about I think it was £20,034 of equity, which we were going to use to buy a house outside London somewhere. And that was my nest egg. And two tons of chocolate were going to cost me £20,000. <laughs> so I didn't even have enough left for a pair of shoes, frankly. But it was just such an amazing opportunity. And I so passionately believed in this chocolate, which was the first organic chocolate in the world. It was much the darkest chocolate on the market at the time. I mean, I sat in front of lots of supermarket buyers who said, the British will never eat chocolate this dark. <laughs> and I was like, 
you know what? It's really good. I think they will. Mm, I love it. <laughs> so, so I kind of dived off this diving board. And again, that re- relates back to a postcard I bought when I was 15 in Carnaby Street of a man on a diving board saying, if you don't do it, you'll never know what would have happened if you mm. had done it. And so I went to the edge of the diving board and, and, and dived off. And, you know, what was the worst that was going to happen? I could have lost that £20,000 at nest egg. I hadn't mortgaged my house or, or done anything like that. It was, it was a gamble. But I was pretty sure that people would respond to the chocolate in the way that they did. Mm. And my advantage was that as a journalist, I knew how to communicate my product. Yeah. And I knew, knew who to communicate it to. Mm. So all of the kind of press releases and getting in touch with journalists and chefs and magazine editors and newspapers editors, etc., that was what I knew how to do. Yeah. And it was very important because we had no advertising yeah. budget. We just had to get it out to as many people as we could. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's a very similar story to Kiki <laughs> in so many ways. So what kind of advice then would you have to our listeners in terms of if they have a dream business? What would be the, you know, the top three things to, for people to well, the dream is important, yeah. but the practical side of it, the, the actually putting one foot in front of another mm. is just as important. I, You know, one of the signs on my office wall is things only get done if you do them. Yeah. <laughs> it's so basic. But That's I so true. <laughs> we all have friends who talk about doing things. Mm. They love talking about how they're going to do X, Y, and Z. But actually... I think it's much more powerful to, I mean, yes, talk about your dream, but but be taking the practical steps to make it happen. You know, a dream is is no good unless you actually turn it into reality. And the only way you can do that is roll up your sleeves, find stuff out, get stuff done. Yeah. And in the early stages of any business that I've been involved in, and I think probably any business on the planet, there is so much to do. I mean, there are so many things from... Whether you're even just, you know, buying a computer and doing it in your spare room or registering for tax and checking trademarks and ordering your stationery and your business cards and all of that stuff. Most of it only has to get done once, but you have to do it. And Kiki, this is where lists come in. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Big old good to-do list. Big old good to-do list. You know, that's how I live my life. Uh, Thanks to your many, many pads of different kinds. I'm particularly fond of the well-being one, which gets me to tick my numbers of glasses of water I've had each day. Thank you. That's great. (laughs) But, you know, write it down, tick it off, and you get an amazing sense of satisfaction, as we all know, from, from ticking off the yeah. list. But nobody can carry all that stuff around in their head. You know, every business I've created, I've just had a massive list. Yeah. And sometimes it got longer before it got shorter. But that way, every time you think of something that's got to be done, you write it down. You you know, you know where you are. Yeah. So So the dream is crucial. And you can certainly dream big. But just as important is the... Not just talking about it, but putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Thank you for sharing. That's amazing. I've actually got another piece of advice that I could give with that. I think a really good starting point for business is just putting yourself in the customer's shoes. Mm. And all of my businesses have, I mean, it's slightly arrogant, but I've built them on the premise that if I needed something, 
and I couldn't find it, the chances are that lots of other people felt the same way. Yeah. And actually with all of my businesses, that's been the case. Mm. And so that kind of being the customer is is crucial. So there are still gaps in the market. There are still niches to be filled. Um, I'm not interested in being a me too, in copying somebody. I'm not interested in having a, a bit of someone else's action. I want to create things that are the first of their kind or unique in some way or, or better in some way. Yeah. And so that I think that's another really, really important thing is just be the customer yeah. and, and use your eyes. And next time something comes along that you think, why can't I get hold of that? Or why doesn't that exist? Yeah. You know, maybe that's your business idea. Yeah, that's exactly how Kiki K started. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't find anything for my home office. Really good advice. And I think it's so important that you actually, you know, are passionate about your products and you use it and yeah. love it yourself. Because um, if you're just starting something for money and when it gets hard and all businesses gets hard, regardless yeah. how successful they are, yeah. you really need to love what you do and wanted to spend Saturday nights doing it. And, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I'm sure it would be useful for people to hear that, that there's a basic business rule, which is that getting your business off the ground is going to take you twice as long and cost you twice as much as you think it's going to. So you might as well write that into your plan. Yeah. Because it's true for every business I know, because we all start at a kind of standing start. And that first bit where you're just kind of going along, bumping along mm. before anybody knows who you are yeah. can take a really long time. Yeah. So and they jump in even in, in an established business because yes. things change all the time, especially the speed of now. Yes. It's just, yeah. Um, yeah. That's a really good one. So thinking back over, over your journey, I'm sure there's been a lot of um, roller coasters. I know you started from your Portobello Road bedroom mm -hmm. with your husband and to grow a global ethical brand. What would you say has been the biggest obstacle or challenge faced along your journey? I think that for us always, and, and, and it's true of most businesses, cash flow. Yeah. You know, cash flow <laughs> is the most important thing. You don't get your cash flow right, you go bust. Mm -hmm. It's it's that simple. The faster your business is growing, the harder it is mm -hmm. because you're having to carry so much more stock all the time. You're having to pay for that stock before you've sold it to your customers very often. And that's where the pinch point and the sleepless nights come in. Yeah. How am I going to pay for that next consignment? Yeah. And what we did was we used a form of financing called invoice discounting because we had really good insurable customers like the supermarkets. Yeah. So our bank would lend us 75% of the value of the invoice the minute we issued it. Yeah. Because, you know, British supermarkets sometimes don't pay you for 180 days, yeah. half a year. A lot of people, big companies particularly, take a very, very, very long yeah. time to pay. Yeah. And you've had to pay your supplier way, way before that. Yeah. So that enabled us to grow. And it wasn't the cheapest way to, buy, to borrow money, but it meant that we could grow at the pace we needed to. Yeah. Uh, even then, there were kind of, you know, nail-biting moments yeah. about, are we going to survive? So, you know, that's how we did it. And so I would say that cash flow was always the biggest thing. And the other big challenge was that the thing that I think we got wrong, which I've tried to learn from in my subsequent businesses, was we weren't strategic enough. Because I think in a lot of startups, it's very exciting. Yeah. You get lots and lots of opportunities. Everyone wants to collaborate you with yeah. you. Everyone wants to do stuff with you. And you can't do, do everything. You don't have a million people working for you. It's probably you and the dog, you know. 
And so you really have to pick and choose which opportunities you're going to follow up on. Yeah. Not cry yourself to sleep over the ones that you've turned down, yeah. but not spread yourself so thin that you're you're doing a lot of things not terribly well. Mm. It's better to focus on two or three really good opportunities, do them incredibly well. And it was the same with us with exporting. We were with Green and Blacks, we were flattered into selling to just about anybody who came up to us yeah. at a trade show. And it's like, we're in Slovenia, <laughs> we're in Mongolia, you know. And then the reality was you've got to find out about their labeling laws and their input taxes and their food labeling and their safety regulations and how to get it there and all of that stuff. Yeah. And when we, we sold a chunk of our business to, to a group of investors, the first thing they did was they just got that red pen out with our, re our export book. And they said, look, guys, you're spending just as much time and effort sending half a case to Slovenia as you are sending two containers to America. Yeah. So sorry, but Slovenia's toast. And <laughs> as were a lot of countries. Mm. But, but actually, they were absolutely right. You know, you can't do everything. No. And so that kind of... Spreading yourself too thin is just very bad from a well-being point of view as yeah. well. Because I spoke to somebody the other day who has a, a small perfume business and it's a very arty brand. And he said, I've got 23 projects that I'm working on. And I, was, I just wanted to say, just do three. Yeah, <laughs> Forget the other 20 because yeah. you're going you're gonna to find yourself running on empty. Yeah. That is such a good advice and something that we are all guilty of, I think, in terms of our personal life as well as our businesses. And I love this quote, you can do anything in life, but not everything at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I follow that personally, but I think to, um, in business, we should perhaps be a little bit more like that as well. Because, yeah. you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you get so excited as you're just saying, yes. like, and there's so much we can do and it's so exciting. But the power of saying no. Have you got any favorite quotes? In my book, um, Your Dream Life Starts Here, I have a whole chapter about uh, what different quotes means to people, because I think being reminded of quotes that is meaningful for you is really powerful. Have you got any favorite? Because I know I've we got, talked I've about it before. loads on my wall at home. I've got a great one from Pooh, Winnie, Winnie the Pooh, mm -hmm. about being organized is what you do. Is, I, can't, I can't remember it exactly. No, that's it's, fine. It's what you do before you do something. And I'm not very good at remembering quotes for some particular reason, which is why I have them stuck up there. <laughs> but I've got them from Coco Chanel. I've got them from Anita Roddick. Yeah, said a lot of things that yeah. I, you know, believe in, and and what I loved about Anita, who was I was lucky enough to have as my mentor. Oh wow, she was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I'd met her through my journalism, and we became friends. Oh wow, and she signed me up for a socially responsible business network, which was amazing. Yeah, with yeah. people like Ben and Jerry, the ice cream guys, and Anita and Gordon Roddick, and Gary Hirschfield, who sold his business to his Stonyfield Farm yogurt business to. Danone. But, you know, we would get together and listen to inspirational speakers and kind of just just reassure each other that we weren't all mad trying to change the world by doing <laughs> doing good. But, you know, she believed that business could be a force for good. Mm. And I and I have her picture up on my wall with, mm. with that quote. And she also believed in, she used to talk about business karma, mm. about how when you were trying to do good in business, kind of magic happened. Yeah. And I believe that. And I, I look around and so many people are trying to you know, make the world a better place through business. It's very encouraging. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. A purposeful business will go a long way. 
So in my book, I challenge readers to explore the idea, wouldn't it be amazing if you can make a living or spend a large part of your life following your purpose and doing what you really love? And I think you are an absolutely perfect example of someone who has done that time and time uh, <laughs> again. What advice can you share with our listeners about how they can make that happen for themselves? I really believe in what Anita said about business being a force for good yeah. and the opportunities that you have to kind of make other people's lives better. Mm. And I think that these days, more and more people, customers are looking for brands with purpose. They're looking for businesses with purpose. They're not just looking for businesses which somehow exploit the planet and a throwaway culture, etc. So actually, I would advise anybody who's setting up any kind of business now to really have, you know, their values sorted out at the beginning because Mm. it's much easier to build a business on your values than to kind of try and retrofit it later. I mean, you look around and all kinds of businesses are trying to embrace purpose and values and sustainability, which is great, but it's actually easier to start at the beginning. But what I would say is I think a big mistake that often companies who want to be seen to be kind of trying to bring about change do is they, they promise a percentage of their turnover or profits to a particular charity. And actually, I think that is, it can be quite dangerous from a business point of view, because you're never quite sure what your costings are going to be and whether you're going to have that money left over at the end to give to that charity. And if you've said, I'm going to give 10% of my turnover to Greenpeace or whatever, that might be the 10% that you need to stay afloat. Mm. So I think it's much better to have a sustainable, profitable business and then decide to give some of it away rather than kind of say, this is who we are and we're going to give 10% to this great cause. You know, make everything you do be about trying to make the world a better place. But don't do that thing of committing to a specific percentage because you just paint yourself into a corner. It's a great idea. It's very, very noble, but it's very, very hard to pull off. And It'll have you kind of awake at two o'clock in the morning, I think, going, oh, my God, how am I going to pay the bills and send that check to whatever? And I make you feel like a bad person for not being able to do it. Whereas, in fact, that's just life sometimes, you know, things go wrong in business. You know, I've just had an episode where my warehouse lost a load of stationery that we'd ordered. Not from you, not that kind of sexy stationery, but really boring packing boxes, you know, so... While I wait for that to be sorted out, I've got to order another load, yeah. you know, and all these things happen, unexpected things on a daily basis. Yeah. So by all means, have a purpose, by all means, share it with the world. But don't say 10% of everything we make is going to go to save the panda mm. or whatever. I love that advice. My One of my mentors actually said to me in, in the early days that you have to look after yourself first and then you can help others. And exactly. I, I, I truly believe that because it's, it's really hard for a business to survive in the first place anyway. So. Yeah. And that also brings me to kind of well-being because, because it's equally true of your own health and and well-being and you know that in-flight advice about you always hope you're never going to have to put it into action of if the oxygen mask comes down you've got to put it on you before you put it on your child but it's actually true about 
life generally mm. is that if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't possibly do the, the job of looking after everybody else. Yeah. And I think women in, in particular find this really hard, this idea that they've got to give themselves some TLC. They've got to take care of themselves. But it's vital because... Otherwise, you'd be wiped out. Yeah, You'll be absolutely. no good to anybody. You'll be no good to your colleagues and your staff and your your kids and your mum and your friends. You know, you'll just be miss, little miss exhausted. Yeah, absolutely. That brings me to a very good question for you. Like, what do you do to, um, what kind of tips can you give to our listeners on, on looking after yourself and living a balanced life? Because I think, especially for a startup, that's really difficult. Yeah. But not just startup, it's, you know, we're all busy in yeah. all sorts of different ways. Yeah. And even if you're working for someone else, it's difficult to balance it all. So love to get some tips from you. Well, I do my 10,000 steps a day. Yep. I walk to get around, basically. Yep. If I'm in central London, gosh, if I'm in central London, I could easily do 17,000 steps mm. in a day. Just going from appointment to appointment. I rarely get a taxi anymore. That provides me with really good thinking time as well. Yeah. And frankly, walking somewhere is often quicker yeah. than taking a cab. Especially in London. Especially <laughs> in London. So my walking saves my sanity and also just kind of meets, means I can eat everything I want to eat without worrying about it. Yeah. I mean, sleep is vital. Yeah. You know, I have an It's armory. a very big theme on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I have an armory of sleep aids, yeah. you know, kind of this works pillow spray and and this works power nap spray and things to kind of help me because often I go to bed with a racing mind and mm. I need to kind of calm down. Yeah. And just eating really well. Mm. I mean, eating as well as you can. I think the challenge when you've got a startup or you've you've got any kind of business is that you grab food and and it's very easy to grab not great food. Yeah. Crisps is not a lunch really, yeah. you know, but I kind of make big vats of soup at the weekend and have soup and toast for lunch, but at least I've got a big bowl of something really yeah. nutritious. Yeah. Try and eat as fresh as possible. Yeah. Try not always to go for the sandwich counter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it is your fuel, but it it often takes I think a little bit of extra preparation it takes that 10 minutes in the morning to make sure you've got something really nice to eat at work during yeah. the day because you may not even get out at lunchtime no. you know it's your fuel yeah so make sure it's good and obviously do include chocolate but only good chocolate absolutely <laughs> you know it's funny when I um I don't eat aeroplane food if I can no. avoid it and um so I always have a little bit of your chocolate with me and I also have some you know raw food balls and protein yeah. things yeah. and and it, it takes a little bit longer because before I go I have to think about it but once you actually get into it it's really easy yeah. I used to in the startup days I used to do a big batch of soup every Sunday mm -hmm. and my partner he's like he was sometimes sneaking out to get something else because he was so sick I'm so bored with this soup <laughs> but we still eat that soup and we often have a bit of a laugh that it was nutritious as well as cheap and and it's so funny because that's what I there. do on Sundays yeah. I make soup for the week yeah <laughs> It's a, it's a good startup food. It is. It's a really <laughs> Anyone good listening startup to, yeah, food. And for any, anyone. And, you know, tempting as it is to drink loads and loads of caffeine, it's going to string you out yeah. if you have too much. I mean, I have, I have two cups of very good tea in the morning. Yeah. And I have a cup of very good tea at four o'clock in the afternoon, but I'm not constantly drinking yeah. coffee all day. Yeah. I used to drink coffee. I started yeah. drinking coffee when I was a journalist and yeah. I literally started the day I became a journalist. So it was all for me, kind of bound up in the creative process. Mm. And 
I went to an acupuncturist who said, because for a, health, a sort of nagging health problem, she said, well, you have to give up coffee. And I'm like, I can't give up coffee. And I was drinking 10 cups a day. Oh, wow. But I cut down and the two cups I cut down to just gave me such jitters mm. that I thought I've got to, I've got to stop yeah. this. Yeah. You know? And I had heinous headaches for a couple of days, but yeah. I got rid of my, my coffee addiction because it, it lifts you up and it crashes you yeah. down again. Yeah. So you have to keep going. Yeah. It's not real energy. No. No, that's a good good one. I try to a couple of times a year get rid of I love my coffee, but I don't have eight cups a no. day. I have one, <laughs> sometimes two if I feel like I need it. Yeah. Especially with jet lag, I feel I like it's, it's, um, it's a, also a um, mental help in terms of sometimes when you have jet lag, it just helps you get through totally. that. Yeah. Well, actually, my yeah. husband makes a guarana drink called Gusto, yeah. which does the same for me. Yeah. It's it's also got some herbs in for focus, Yeah. and, and it's fantastic for yeah. just picking up. It's my jet lag Remedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. I might get some. Um, yeah, I'll, get, I'll, I'll make one. sure you get some. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So, looking at your life from the outside, it looks like you're living your dream life now. You're doing so many things you seem to love, working for yourself and inspiring others, and keeping a very busy life with all your incredible business ventures. I would love to ask you: Do you feel like you're living your dream life now? I definitely am living my dream life now. My main business is something I love called the Perfume Society, which is, it's a box, it, we do discovery boxes of perfume in the UK because we sadly can't ship it internationally. And we have a massive website about perfume and the sense of smell called perfumesociety.org because what connects all my businesses, so Green and Blacks, the Beauty Bible, the Wellington Centre Wellbeing Centre, which I run in my hometown of Hastings, and the bakery, the organic bakery that we had there for many years, they're all in some way connected with the senses. Mm. And that is completely chimes with my real fascination with the senses and my feeling that somehow in this life we live in our heads and, and we're very, very visual, but we're very often cut off from our other senses. Mm. But yes, I have a lovely house. I have a beautiful garden. I have a husband I adore. I live by the sea. And that's really part of the dream life for me. Yeah. I swim probably eight months of the year Wow! Um, in the sea. Um, even which, here. Even here. It's <laughs> not as bad as you think when you do it every day, let me tell you. Uh, we were still swimming up 10 days ago in late October. Yeah. It's um, also a very Swedish thing. You know, I grew up in Sweden. It's a very Swedish thing to do. But I yeah. somehow didn't get that gene. You didn't get the gene. <laughs> I got the gene. Because <laughs> weirdly, I'm 40% Scandinavian. Yeah. Uh, I had my DNA done, yeah. which is a fascinating thing to do. So, yeah, I'm, I'm living my dream. And in fact, interestingly, when I started this business, we had an office in London, which I wasn't really planning to do. But mm. the first two girls who came to work for the Perfume Society said to me, I, I said, well, you obviously you work at home. And, and they were like, oh, no, we need a desk. And I went, really? The whole of the rest of the world is trying to work at home. But whatever. So we found a, de a couple of desks for them. And then that became an office. And then that became a thing. Yeah. And so for three years, I found that I was coming to London three days a week or being in London three days a week to kind of make them feel loved and interact with them, etc. And then interestingly, when my most junior girl left a year ago, I had this, this kind of blinding realization that if I replaced her with somebody who worked in, in my hometown, I didn't have to come up to London all the time. And so that was a very conscious decision because actually 
I had created this dream life. I had my life exactly the way I wanted it. Lots of walking, lots of being in the countryside and the seaside and uh, lovely friends. And, and then blew it by getting a London office. So I learned my lesson and, and moved home. Yeah. And I'm much, much happier. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I love asking five questions when um, people are um, dreaming. If you couldn't fail... What would you do if you had all the money you needed, all the energy, the resources, the knowledge, all the stuff that, you know, often we don't have when we think about goals. But if you're thinking about your dreams, if you had all that, what would you do with your life? It's probably not the answer you, you want, but... No, there's no right and right. I just want you as you are. Okay. <laughs> I have ideas for things all the time. Yeah. But actually, I like to give them away now. Yeah. I, I'm That's very happy thing. to give ideas away so that other people take them and run with them. Because what I've realized is I can't do everything. I, yeah. can't, I shouldn't spread myself no. so thin. I wished that something existed, which was it was a mentor matching scheme. Yeah. Where, you know, you could you could f- sort of find a great mentor and somebody has set up something called men I think it's mentor match her yeah which pairs people who've got time to mentor people with people who want a mentor yeah you know I think that's a great idea I don't know whether she picked up on it because I put it out in the ether yeah (laughs) (laughs) or whether it was just a one of those gaps in the market yeah but I do have ideas all the time yeah and I just know I just publicly just give them away yeah because I could do them but actually I don't want to spend the rest of my life just running around doing working yeah I don't want to retire no but I'd love to do more I'd love to do even more charity work than I do yeah I'd love to spend more time with my got a whole bunch of babies coming into the family yeah which will be fun spend some time with them but but you know I can't guarantee I won't have another really good idea and want to make it happen yeah (laughs) No, I'm sure you will have plenty. <laughs> so I know you do a lot of public speaking. And for those of us who haven't been lucky enough to see you yet speak yet, what do you actually, what when you speak, what kind of um, takeaways do you give people? Oh, lots and lots of takeaways. I mean, the things, you know, I talk a lot about the, the journey of Green and Blacks and the things that we got right, which are just not rocket science, but which every company has to get right. And so starting with a great product, which makes it so easy to do everything because you believe in it so much and it kind of, you know, you can sell it to customers and journalists and people you want to come and join your team. Yeah. You know, branding and design, which is so important more than ever now, PR and marketing. And then, and then, you know, for us, very often I talk about business with purpose because obviously that was what was, was true of Green and Blacks from, from day one. Yeah. And then just, you know, my other kind of success secrets, if you like, which again, they're not, they're not rocket science, but you know, be authentic. Mm. Don't suffer from imposter syndrome. Take your authentic self to work. Yeah. And I think we're very lucky because we, we live in a world now, which is, celebrates diversity, celebrates, you know, it's, much more equal than it was and I don't think that anyone should have to feel like they have to live up to someone's idea of what they should be 
just be yourself. Yeah. And you'll save yourself a lot of grief. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just, and you'll just be able to focus on the job rather than being that person who yeah. you think you should be. Yeah. So, so being authentic and taking your sense of humor to work. I mean, I, you know, I love the sound of laughter in an office. It's, I feel like if I walk into a room and everyone's laughing, as long as they're not laughing about me, obviously. Well, sometimes <laughs> they are. I, that's okay too. You know, create a fun place to work mm. and make it, make it look nice. I mean, you provide all the accessories for that. Mm. But, you know, I've worked in places that have been awful and dingy and, you know, had cardboard boxes everywhere yeah. and, and just were depressing. And it's amazing how a bunch of daffodils and a new mouse mat pad yeah. can just you know, make it a much, much nicer place to work. And the chances are you're going to spend more time in the office than you are at home. Yeah. So you might as well make it nice. Yeah. You don't have to spend a fortune between, between Kiki K and Ikea. You know, it's all it's all there, really. Yeah. So, yeah, create a, create a nice place to work. I mean, I'm a great believer in finding a mentor when you're starting out and mentoring other people as soon as you're in a position where you have something to share. Mm. But I pick my mentorees very carefully in terms of they have to be people who I really genuinely feel like if I open my little black book as Anita did for me, it's going to be useful specifically to them. Yeah. It's not just about having a cup of coffee occasionally and patting their hand and going, it's okay. Yeah, you know? no. It's actually about what, how can I open doors for yeah. that person? Yeah. So those sorts of, of things yeah. really yeah. are, are the things that yeah. I share. Like, you know, it's not rocket science, no. but, but actually everyone I know in business who has a story to tell it's pretty much the same yeah, story. Yeah, I remember meeting you. I felt this exactly the same. I was like, <laughs> we have the same story, just different products. Yeah, yeah different yeah, products. Yeah, but, it's so true. Yeah. It's so true. And that's why, you know, you just touched on something, a couple of things that I like to just have a quick chat about. One is self-belief, because I feel like so many people are lacking self-belief that I meet. So what is your little advice to for people who are listening if they have some, some kind of self-doubt or lack of self-belief? you know, really celebrate the things that you know you're good at. Mm. Everyone is good at some things. You don't have to be good at everything. You know, even if it's just quite a short list of stuff that you like, I'm a really good friend or I have really nice handwriting or I can knit brilliantly or, you know, it doesn't have to be, I'm a great leader. Just celebrate the small things that you're good at and yeah. Often other people have an agenda yeah. and will try and put you down for, for various reasons. Sometimes they'll put you down and tell you you can't succeed because actually they don't want you to be hurt by failing. Mm. It's not really because they think you're terrible yeah. at something or you, it's not going to work out. It's because it, it's actually out of a genuine kind of love and yeah. concern that they don't want you to be hurt. Yeah. Or sometimes it's their, their fear. Or it's their feeling. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Actually, they'd quite like to have done that and they don't really see why you should. Yeah, I yeah. suppose I was being a bit charitable. Yeah, yeah no, but I also think that, you know, sometimes um, if someone um, wants to do something and then they have a friend who could never see themselves doing it, they're projecting their fears onto that person. Yeah. And that's a very natural yeah. thing yeah. to do. So yeah. it's with good intention, but sometimes we just have to remember that, you know, your friends are not like you. So you just have to to do what you think and know you can do. But also be a sponge. You know, if there's stuff that you don't know how to do and you're not very good at, get better at it. Mm. I mean, I'm a great believer in the 10,000 hours of practice at something. I'm sure, you know, I, if I picked up a violin, you wouldn't really want to be around me for the first 100 hours. But I'm pretty sure that eventually I could reasonably well play the violin. Mm. And 
we can learn to do pretty much anything. Yeah. I mean, if we can learn to walk and talk in a year, yeah. the first year of our lives, there's pretty much no limit to what we can learn. So if you're not yet good at something, become good at it. Yeah. Study it. Yeah. Look on YouTube. Google it. Yeah. You books. Know, Podcasts. Books. <laughs> we live in a world where you can find anything out. Yeah. Which is extraordinary. Which, yeah. And practice it. Yeah. But most of all, it's, it's about being kind to yourself mm. and celebrating the things you're good at, not saying, oh, I'm so bad at that. Yeah. If you're so bad at it, we'll get better at it. But don't say that to the world. Yeah. Love that answer. So in my new book, I share with readers that I have found great inspiration from the dreams and experiences of others. Who would you say inspires you? I know you spoke a lot about Anita, but is there anyone now that you are inspired by? So many people yeah. I'm inspired by. Michelle Obama is about oh. to come to London. I and know. I think I blew getting tickets for her. But, you know, she's just somebody I love what she says. I love how grounded she is. You know, historically, I was incredibly inspired by Coco Chanel. Yeah. Who may have uh, probably she was, you know, a tyrant, but she was she followed her own path. Yeah. And she was the first to do so many things and she was a woman in business when it wasn't the done thing at all yeah she had lots of lovers and you know she I'm sure made lots of enemies but I am a huge admirer of of how she just decided what she was going to do and followed that path yeah. and made she created herself yeah so she's always been a hero of mine Anita Roddick, of course, yeah. you know. Natalie Massonet, who founded Net-A-Porter, yeah. is another one, yeah. you know, and has gone on to do various other businesses and things. You know, it's all people who rolled up their sleeves. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I couldn't agree more. Okay, I'd love to finish off by asking you a few quick questions uh, that I know our listeners would love to hear from you. Do you have any particular morning routine to set you up for a productive day? I have such a morning routine. Oh, love it. <laughs> so my alarm goes off at 10 past 6. Yeah. I put my kettle on and I have my two cups of speedy breakfast tea from the Rare Tea Company, which is run by my friend Henrietta, another woman in business who created this special breakfast blend huh? for me, except now it's her best-selling tea. Fantastic. I have to share it with the world. Yes, we'll And I, I read in bed for a while, but when I go to my desk, which is probably about 8.30, sometimes 9, so I have quite a lot of time in bed thinking yeah. and reading and talking to my lovely husband looking out of the window up my garden I do 10 minutes of calm.com meditation before I start yeah if ever I skip that my day is completely different it's just much more scattered mm. and chaotic and I've discovered I absolutely need to do 10 minutes of meditation before I start my day yeah and then I my after that the routine could be anything. Yeah. I mean, it just goes whatever direction the day takes. Yeah. But then the very last thing I do is before I leave my desk in the evening, I write my or my K-pad, my list for the next day. Yeah, beautiful. So when I've done my calm meditation the following morning, I look at that list yeah. and that's my day already set out. Yeah. But I find it much easier to spend 10 minutes at the end of the previous day thinking about what I've got to do next day. Yeah. And that's my blueprint. Yeah. 
I might add to it. Yeah. I also on my phone have something called Wonderlist. Yeah. W U N D E R L I S T, which again is this is an app you can share with people. So all my team have the same app, so I can put things on a to do list for them, and I yeah. can see when they've ticked it off, etc. Yeah. My husband has Wonderlist on yeah. his phone. Sometimes he looks at it. <laughs> <laughs> you can take a horse to water, but you can't, can't always make it. Absolutely. Yeah. So the morning routine is is crucial, yeah. actually. And then at the end of the day, I have uh, if I haven't had a walk yet, that's when I go for my long walk. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. To the end of my, we have a pier where I live, and so I walk to the end of the pier and back, and that's that's about eight thousand steps. So I have to get another couple of thousand yeah. in somewhere. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks for sharing. I love hearing um, morning routines and it's hopefully inspiring lots of listeners out there to to create their own if they haven't got one. I feel Uh, like it's the foundation stone for the day. Yeah, I do too. And I love the early morning because you are less likely to be interrupted, especially for, you know, for younger mums who have young kids, because often they're up and then your day is kind of detailed with other people. You Um, never quite have the world to yourself in the way that you do in the morning yeah and I feel like every day is a clean sheet of paper yeah you know yeah it, it's a clean sheet of paper on that to-do list yeah I agree so I think you already answered this but just in case there is another one do you have a favorite Kiki K product it's the to-do pads <laughs> good because you're getting a new one today so. Yippee! Um, but you know I will say that I walked into your shop for the first time I don't know maybe three years ago yeah. or something and I just was like wow can I buy shares in this business? This is amazing. Well, you can. <laughs> Great. But I just felt that you had, just as you had done for yourself, you'd filled that need in me to surround myself with nice things, which are part of the motivation, mm. part of the pleasure of motivating myself for yeah. the day. Yes, you regularly feature in the Christmas stockings of various people in my family. Thank you so much. Very much appreciated. Thank <laughs> you. Trying to turn them into organized human beings. <laughs> That's good. So it's two good things in one story there. Thank you so much. So what's your favorite book and why? It's probably Little Women, mm. actually, which I was named after Joe in Little Women by my mother. Oh, yeah. I, she, she tagged a Zephine on the end, but I should really always have been Joe. And I, I particularly love Joe March as a character. You know, she's feisty and she doesn't want to play by the rules, everybody yeah. else's rules. And I love that book. And yeah. I have a really nice vintage copy with a lovely kind of gold illustration on the cover. Oh, and beautiful. I, I reread it every now and then. Oh, beautiful. Thanks. We'll link to that in the show notes. So one very last question for you. If you can go back to your younger self, so say maybe when you're your late teens, what advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now? And you know so much. I think I'd have just wanted to reassure her that it was all going to be okay. Mm. Because when I was at school, I was really put down by my teachers. Mm. They couldn't deal with the fact that they knew I was smart, but I, I didn't want to do lessons. Yeah. I, it's, I would argue with my maths teacher, I will learn logarithms if you tell me why I might ever need to use a logarithm in my life. Yeah. You have almost fisticuffs in the classroom. Of course, she couldn't tell me. Yeah. Took, a, took an astrologer friend later to say that she used logarithms all the time in <laughs> astrology. And it's like, wow, if you told me that when I was 15, I might have actually paid attention. So I kind of fought with my teachers a lot. Mm. And their way of dealing with me was to say, you'll never be anything. Mm. I mean, literally, 
I had a teacher when I said I wanted to be a secretary who said, if you ever make so much as a girl Friday, I'll eat my hat, you know. And I just heard this kind of rocket ignite under my chair with the determination to kind of prove her wrong. So I had to put up with a lot of being, you know, put down and dissed by my teachers. Mm. That's why probably you are like you are today, perhaps. It, it probably is. But, you know, I, th I still think it was unforgivable because yeah. if I'd been a different sort of girl, I might have kind of bought into that. Oh, absolutely. Instead of rebelled against yeah. it. But I would probably have just liked a little bit of reassurance at that age yeah. that it was going to be okay and that actually... I was right, you know, what I felt in my heart about that, you know, the traditional academic path not being the one for me, yeah. even though it's what every other girl in my school was doing. Yeah. You know, it would have been nice to hear that instead yeah. of just being told I was I was wrong and I was never going to amount to it. Yeah. That is such a good way of ending our amazing conversation because I think there are so many people who would have had similar situation from teachers, parents, peers, friends, whatever. So I think seeing what you have done and created is just incredibly inspiring. And I'm super grateful for the amazing chocolate you have put to the world. <laughs> and I keep, um, now it's available everywhere, but in yeah. the beginning when I discovered it, I didn't, I, I couldn't find it everywhere. So I used to, you know, gift it and I still do and I love it. So thank you for all that you do to the world and thank the you. continue inspiration to especially women out there who are wanting to be just like you so I think you bringing so much beautiful things to the world and I cannot wait to continue see your um, next journey and uh, what that will be well thank you for having me I think it's been really fun and we could have done this for three hours guys but um, <laughs> we, we might have had, to bring you back <laughs> might have to bring me back but yeah. thanks so much for no, having me yeah thank you thank you Wow, what an incredible woman Jo is. I could have spoken to her for hours. I loved hearing her ideas and thoughts on business, the importance of taking the steps to follow your dreams and being true to yourself. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I found it truly inspiring how even though she left school at just 16, she was able to create a success of herself through her passion, determination and hard work and become one of the world's most renowned businesswomen. Jo is such an amazing example of how no matter what your circumstances, if you're willing to learn and work hard, you can achieve anything you set your mind to. I really believe this, which is why a huge part of my book is dedicated to taking those first steps and putting yourself in the driver's seat of your life. You'll also find really helpful chapters on how to take you from dreaming to doing and creating a dream roadmap to follow on your path to living your dream life. I hope this episode has inspired you to start thinking about your own dreams and dream life, whatever that means to you. If you haven't got a copy yet, I encourage you to get hold of my book, Your Dream Life Starts Here, and the Dream Life Journal that I have created to go with it. It's a great starting point if you want guidance on your journey of uncovering and chasing your dreams. Another great place to start is to check out my 101 Dreams audio guide at kiki-k.com forward slash dream life. If you love this episode and found it useful, be sure to subscribe and also leave us a review telling us what you thought. And please help us spread this inspiring message to even more people by posting about it on social media with the hashtag 101 million dreamers. I would really appreciate your support with my big crazy dream to inspire 101 million people to write down three dreams on paper and go and chase them. Until next time, don't forget to dream big and chase your dreams.